Steelers by the Lake podcast. My name is James, joined once again by my co-host Cody. Cody, how are you doing on this fine Monday evening? I am great, my friend. Feeling better than I was when I first woke up this morning, not going to lie. Threw back a couple couple good ones, a couple yinglings last night watching the Steelers game, so that was a good time. Uh, Hanging out with a friend in San Antonio, so that was a... A lovely time. Dude, the, the amount of food I ate last night, crazy. Anyways, uh, I'm doing fantastic. James, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well as well. I'm uh, going to have to catch up on some sleep. I didn't get a ton this last weekend. so Yeah, you um, was busy. You were doing stuff. Oh, yeah, man. Made it all the way to the other side of the state. Uh, went and visited one of Neela's puppies. And then also Angry Orchard. Both were fun. There you go. Angry, yeah, both are fun. Both were fun. um we're gonna talk uh Steelers news kind of related to Steelers news it's more of Vikings news uh but it has to do with a Steelers uh coach who we recently brought in last year Brian Flores uh is now officially hired as the defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings congratulations to him we appreciate everything he did for Pittsburgh some people don't understand I think what he did um and that's fine they don't need to I guess they don't understand uh but with that being said this doesn't help Pittsburgh with the compensatory pick that they could have gotten uh, due to not, it's not called compensatory, but it's something else. Right. No, it basically is it's, a compensatory yeah. pick though. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that would have been nice. Uh, it is a new man on the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you have to be uh, on the team for two years and then get either a head coaching gig or a general manager gig. Uh, in order for that to help out, the team that you came from also has to be a minority hire. So he hit the minority hire, but he didn't hit high enough as far as the uh, level that he was hired. He would have had to get that head coaching job, and we would have had to have him one more year. Only had him for one year, but uh, a lot has been said since the season ended on how much he contributed to the team last year. Um, really, even Kenny Pickett said it was very instrumental what Flores told him to look for in defenses and what defenses would do in certain mm-hmm. situations and how that helped him prepare for, for games uh, and even have successful drives like we saw at the end of the season and the end of games uh, yeah. where he started getting those successful drives and going down the field and getting game-winning touchdowns. And and uh, he gave a lot of credit to, uh, to Coach Flores on that. So I uh, wish all the best for Coach Flores. Really appreciate the efforts that he gave to the Steelers. Uh, this last season. And I think that will be something that's always going to be a little bit of a, like an unwritten brotherhood between him and Tomlin now. Oh, 100%. Yeah. He's going to always be extremely grateful for Tomlin, making sure that he didn't become irrelevant and making sure he didn't get blackballed out of the league. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Not possible when Tomlin takes you under your wing. So (laughs) Nope, not at all. So let's talk about, Someone else getting blackballed potentially. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. How- Whoever the reporter is. Yeah, let's exactly. Talk about that, man. Whoever the reporter is, folks, be careful when you're reading an article before you like and retweet and share and that sort of stuff. Make sure that there's at least some shred of truth to it. Uh, somebody decided this last week they must have been real bored. I get it. There's not a lot of Steelers news going on. They decided to claim that Deontay Johnson in that New York Jets game punched Mitchell Trubisky in the face before the game even started, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. It was very quickly refuted by both Deontay Johnson and Mitchell Trubisky. Um, this even kind of conflicts with the story that came out 
in the middle of the season saying that there was a big disagreement and argument between Mitchell Trubisky and Deontay Johnson at halftime. Um, now this person was trying to say that Deontay punched him in the face before the game, which if that happened, Tomlin would have absolutely benched Deontay and not allowed him to play in that game. Uh, so not a shred of truth to it. I believe Deontay, I believe Mitch, and I believe that it did not happen. And I believe that that reporter needs to be held accountable for that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to imagine that at what point can you just continue to put out false accusations or false information and be still allowed to report in that aspect or that capacity, um, or even just have that much, uh, strength to to your words like at some point your words no longer have power or anything like that um should lose credibility when you start saying stuff like that yeah absolutely uh you want to know what's not going to lose credibility is the credit that pittsburgh has on their little credit card for the nfl that has 80 million dollars right now in cap space uh and that's just right now steelers still have the option and more than likely are going to um potentially switch up contracts huh that's the 2024 season that they're going to have 80 million. Excuse me, 80 million. But it's, again, that's going <laughs> to yeah. go up because they're going to reef. Well, it could potentially go down with signing of certain people, but they typically do a good job of reformatting these contracts and, and doing specific things to open up more cap space the year before. So I don't know 2023 where we're at. Um, we could figure that out probably fairly quickly, but at the cap, right at it. We're at it. Okay. So we're going to have, yeah, we're going to have uh, 80 million next year then. So that'll be a good time. Correct. Yeah. So you figure a few of the big contracts are falling off and that has everything to do with it. Uh, you know, William Jackson, the third won't be under contract anymore. Deontay Johnson wouldn't be under contract anymore. Uh, I want to say Mason Cole's contract would fall off. Uh, and then a few others as well. Um, uh, like say Akilah Witherspoon, there's not uh, TJ Wallace, not, not TJ Watt, that's for sure. Uh, but like you mentioned, <laughs> Uh, you figure they're probably going to eat into that a little bit with an extension, hopefully, for Alex Highsmith. But yeah. it's nice seeing a big number like $80 because that makes you really kind of reassure that they have plenty of space for doing these extensions for guys that you want to hang on to, well, uh, it, like even Cameron Sutton. Oh, absolutely. But it's nice seeing that going forward, and it's and you're less than three years out. Like, it's it's literally, it's technically two years. Um, but it's technically next year, like a year from now. Yeah, Pittsburgh yeah it's next million. off season. Um, yeah. But with that being said, like sometimes you see that number be really big up in the 80s or 60s, 70s, $80 million cap space three or four years out. Having seen mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, this, this to me tells me that we're doing, and it reiterates that we're doing it, uh, rebuilding our team through the draft because you have yeah. all these guys and all the talent, especially on the offense, is 90%, not 90%, but pretty high up there on rookie contracts. You got Jalen Warren. Um, you got Kenny Pickett. You got Najee Harris. You got Pat Fryermuth. You got Connor Hayward. You got Kenny Pickett. You got Calvin Austin III, who hasn't even played a game yet. Like, all these guys are on the rookie. The Kevin, entire tight end room. The entire <laughs> tight end room. Yeah, Zach Gentry. Um, <laughs> and probably, I mean, Dan Moore Jr. is probably still on his rookie deal. Kevin, so Kevin Dotson, Dotson. Like, yep. What? Yeah. So you, it's a high percentage. Three starters. Three starters aren't on the rookie deal. Four if you include Derek Watt. Five if you include a, a wide receiver. Offensive line. Yeah. Well, okay, five. Yeah. Deontay, Derek, and then center, right guard, right tackle. But you get the idea. It's a very young unit, and it's not soaking up a lot of payroll quite yet. It uh, will. So you, 
Yeah, it will. <laughs> it will. Uh, but you got to look at a lot of this too is, you know, by the time, uh, let's say everything goes great for Kenny Pickett, you know, the next year goes great. You know, he's a two for one touchdown to interception ratio. He's thrown for 3,500 yards. We're heading in the right direction, you know, winning 10 games. Um, and then the next year after that, he's a three to one ratio. And you're like, all right, we can't extend him soon enough. Well, it's going to be fifty million a year at that point for a quarterback, maybe even higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not going to be an issue because all of the big money deals will be off the table, basically. Other than you'll probably be looking to extend Minka and TJ another time, but Cam will be retired by then. Yeah. So his massive contract to be off the books. Uh, and you you look at guys like say Najee Harris. Najee's been putting together some some decent years. But like we talked about before, if you give him that fifth year option, by the time he's done with the fifth year option, he's at like 29, 30 years old. Yeah. So he may not get a second contract and you don't, might not have to worry about that huge dollar amount going on him. Yep. Which is very unfortunate for him, but that is what it is. Um, that's yeah, that's the way it works. Man. I would, I would expect Pittsburgh to probably pay him something. I, I don't know what they'll do. We'll figure it out. Yeah. It, it, it largely depends on how he's performing. Um, yeah, I think if he continues how he was, there's like, no way the second half of this year and how he played last year as well. I think they'll give him at least like a two year extension, yeah, just so that he makes some decent money. <laughs> but you can't be giving him a three or four year because you never like a lot of running backs once they hit 29, 30 years old, they start to get slower, they start to really become less athletic and less skilled and less and, in, and injury prone and injury prone. Let's yeah. be real. And, um, and he's already had some injury issues. Yeah. So we got to keep an eye on that, but that $80 million cap space for 2024 is fantastic. And I'm excited to see what Pittsburgh can do with that, whether that be free agency or uh, re-signing guys, whatever that looks like for Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm super excited about that. Um, we're going to briefly touch on something right now, talking about, the NFL honors for 2023. We're just going to kind of go over the list, not talk about it super a whole lot. Um, MVP was Patrick Mahomes. No surprise there. Uh, he mm-hmm. did. He, he did just do something that we'll talk about after this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you have defensive player of the year award went to Nick Bosa for the San Francisco 49ers. He had um, a sick year, didn't he? Like he did have a sick, he did have a very sick year. Uh, I don't know if you saw the clip, James, I'll have to share it with you off. Off, off the podcast and maybe share it on our on our page as well, Facebook or something. There was a clip where one of the guys, I think it was Fred Warner for the defense of the 49ers, was all hyping everybody up and saying, let's go. Like whatever, whatever he said was super hype and like up there yeah. energy-wise. And the camera just pans to, to Bosa and he's like, can't agree more. <laughs> like just the most cool, <laughs> calm and collected, just I can't agree more. Uh, and it's just funny. It's a funny clip. And so I'll share that with yeah, you. And then I'll post that on our Facebook page as well. Um, but moving forward, offensive player of the year went to Justin Jefferson. Very well deserved. Mm-hmm. He almost got to the 2000 yard receiving mark, which would have set an NFL record. Uh, unfortunately, he on, only ended with 1809 yards only. Uh, biggest thing was the eight, <laughs> the eight touchdowns is what he ended with, which was a low number technically for touchdowns. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson for the New York Jets. 83 catches for 1,100 yards. Not too bad. Now the Jets also. How many touchdowns did he hit? uh, He had, that's a great question. I don't know. They didn't put that number on here. Must not have been a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Must have been a low number. If they didn't put it up there, it wasn't a great number. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have uh, the Jets defensive back, uh, 
Ahmed Sauce Gardner, who won Sauce. Sauce, who won defensive rookie of the year. So the Jets had both offensive and defensive rookie of the years, which is wildly impressive. And I can't off the top of my head think of the last time a team had both offense and defense rookie of the years. That's crazy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's never happened, to be honest with you, because yeah. that's just such a rare thing. Yeah. You know, in, in honestly, this is we go all the way back to the pre-draft process last year. Sauce just jumped out at the tape, man. When you watched him play, he was just incredible. Uh, such a skilled player. I wanted Pittsburgh to draft him in the worst way, uh, but the closer it got the draft day, the more obvious it became that he was going to be long gone by the time yep. Pittsburgh picked. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that's just the way the cookie crumbles and that sort of thing. So yeah. um, no surprise that Sauce had such an incredible year. Yeah, and then you got Co- listen. It was better than Trayvon Diggs' rookie year. Let's not go into that. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then you had Coach of the Year Brian DeBall, uh, the New York Giants. Uh, took his team, the Giants, from a four and thirteen team last year to a nine seven and one, and arguably one of the toughest divisions in football. I'll give him that. Uh, that division's turned out to be pretty tough. Yeah. Washington's hit, and they miss. won like seven straight, didn't they? Yeah, I think they went on. It was six or seven. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it was an incredible streak they went on, and nobody, everybody said, "Oh, Daniel Jones isn't good enough for that." Saquon Barkley's always hurt. Well, <laughs> Daniel Jones played his butt off, and Saquon stayed healthy, and they went on a a big old winning streak and. And outperformed what anybody thought they were going to do. Yep. Uh, so anyways, we're going to talk about one more, James. And I'm going to let I'm going to give you the floor for this one because I know you have some stuff to say about this one. The comeback player of the year, uh, oh, Mr. Yeah. Geno Smith. So, James, go ahead Incredible. and share, share some thoughts, yeah. my friend. So comeback player of the year. Apparently for, for Geno Smith, the qualification is you were awful previously and now you played pretty good. In previous years, it was how bad was your injury? And that's why I'm so triggered about this whole stupid thing, man. Because the year that Ben Roethlisberger blew his elbow out and three of the five ligaments connecting the muscle to the bone in his elbow tore off of the bone and he came back and played the next year and played well, he lost out to Alex Smith because Alex Smith had a gruesome leg injury. And it was a gruesome injury. But Alex Smith only started for like five or six games and then got benched because he wasn't playing well. But he got the comeback player of the year award because he came back from a more gruesome injury. Geno Smith wasn't even hurt last year. So if that's the qualification, then he doesn't even qualify. And if it's how good did you perform? Well, then clearly Alex Smith should have never got it that year. So that's, I, I feel like they just need to to say, Hey, this is comeback player of the year from an injury or this is comeback player of the year from having a bad season and then playing really good the next year, or maybe even just make two different categories. I don't know. Uh, but it seems like it's just whatever they feel like making it be that year. So you don't even know what the heck to expect. You don't even know who should be considered for it because you don't know what the heck the qualifications are that particular year. Yeah. I like guess yeah. if Chris Boswell doesn't miss a kick next year, does he qualify because he missed eight field goals this year? Should be comeback player of the year, right? Wait, no, nope, didn't come back from a gruesome injury. I don't know. That's definitely whatever tough. The narrative is whatever the narrative is to make sure the Steelers don't get it. That's, that's what it'll be. Yeah. You can count on that. Uh, for sure. So with that being said, now we're gonna talk Super Bowl because it did just happen. Triggered. Yeah, I know you're super triggered. I can see it on your face. <laughs> um, uh, 
but we're gonna talk Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl did happen. Arguably an instant classic, one of the best Super Bowls we've had in recent years. Uh came down to the wire for sure. Uh no team really ever ran away with it. You're wearing Juju's jersey. I love it. Showing some support for Juju, who's now a Super Bowl champion. Um, and and here's the thing. Uh, let me get on top of this before we even start there. A lot of people Let's are saying, it. you know, Juju, oh, he went to, he pulled a Kevin Durant. He went to a winning team, blah, 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 this and that. Listen, Juju led the team in receptions and receiving yards for both the Super Bowl and the regular season. Like, yeah. Juju performed well. Juju played well. Um, and I don't think that's, I don't think that Juju came out and kind of did anything different than what he did in Pittsburgh. I think that, and I don't want to call it a coaching thing, but maybe the atmosphere in Kansas city was better for him. I'm not saying Tomlin was a worse coach. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying that I think Andy Reed might have took him under his wing a little differently than what Tomlin did. Not that Tomlin did it bad or in a wrong way, but there was also a lot of drama surrounding other players when Juju was here. And I think everyone took that out on Juju. Yeah. And I think too. Um, so, I mean, Andy Reed versus Mike Tomlin, Andy Reed's a brilliant offensive mind. Mike Tomlin's a defensive coach. Yep. Uh, so you would expect Andy Reed to be able to, to kind of pull the maximum capabilities out of him, but let's not undersell the biggest difference between those two situations. Patrick Mahomes versus Ben Roethlisberger at the end of his career, who is just a shell of what he was in his prime. Uh, Juju never got to play with Ben when Ben was at his prime, but he got to play with Patrick Mahomes in his prime. And I'll tell you, that is the most accurate quarterback in the league. And one of the things that uh, Patrick Mahomes is just so special at is extending a play and kind of turning things into backyard football. And Juju's very good at that as well. So it's no surprise to me that the two had such instant chemistry. And, And Juju catches everything that you throw at him too. Let's be real. This dude has some incredibly dependable hands uh, and a very high effort guy, always trying to get the extra yards. Uh, so I, yeah, I have nothing but love for Juju, hence the fact that I'm wearing his jersey. Right, now. Uh, I'm not surprised uh, that he had a good season. I am actually kind of surprised that he led the team in receptions and yards because I would have figured somebody would have had more than that. Yeah, Travis, uh, tra- even but, Travis Kelsey considered, you know. Yeah, yeah, you you would just assume – Somebody would have beat him on that. And I, I guess I don't know if it's Kelsey he didn't have better numbers. I think he just led the t- the receivers on the team. Um, I can look that I up. Wouldn't be surp- I wouldn't be surprised if Kelsey had more receptions and yards, to be honest with you. Uh, but just uh, it's Juju. He's a hardworking kid. He's dude. Uh, I'm very happy for him that he got a ring. Uh, and also kind of happy for Chris Oladokun because he never really got a chance in Pittsburgh after being drafted as a seventh round pick. The Chiefs snagged him after we released him. Uh, we were attempting to get him onto the practice squad. Uh, they snagged him and then ended up putting him on their own practice squad. And because of that, he has a ring now too. Uh, so you got two former Steelers on that Kansas City roster uh, who came away with a ring. I stand uh, corrected. <laughs> it was just the wide receivers. That it was led, just right? the wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah, I figured Kelsey probably. Yeah, Kelsey. Kelsey had him by 400 yards, and yeah. and 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 like 30 catches, 30 receptions, 32 yeah, it, receptions. And honestly, I didn't know the difference in the numbers between the two. I just had heard that there was a massive gap between Kelsey's numbers this year and the number two tight end in in the NFL as far as receptions, yards, like everything. He yeah. just absolutely blew away the competition this year. Uh, so 
that's kind of why I figured that it was just the wide receivers that he he led for Kansas City uh, and not Kelsey because, man, Kelsey's just unstoppable. Let's be real. They couldn't cover him to save their lives. That yeah. dude was just getting open all game long. Uh, and it's it, you can't cover him with a linebacker. It's just not a thing. And the Eagles didn't have an answer for game long. No, I mean, he even had the, the early touchdown catch against, I believe, a, a corner or a safety. Like, you can't guard him with anybody. Um, no, no, they don't make guys that can cover Travis Kelsey. <laughs> they do, but they're not. They're probably in the they're probably in the wrong sport or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they're in the NBA. Those are the, <laughs> those are the only guys can cover Travis Kelsey. Yeah, and it's not because they're faster; it's because they're taller. Like even if you get yeah. beat, listen, even if Giannis got beat, Giannis, you got to throw that ball real high to get over him. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The game, again, we're not going to go into too much depth on this game, uh, but I thought that it was really well played by both teams. Uh, the awesome thing that happened, uh, in my opinion, was, okay, obviously there's the fact that it was the first time two play, two uh, African-American quarterbacks played, played against each other. It was also the first time two brothers played against each other. And then... Um, so that was the cool, but then it was also the first time, or excuse me, not the first time, but uh, Jalen Hurts broke the record for rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in mm-hmm. a Super Bowl with three, which is just crazy. And how about their fourth and down conversions? Just crazy oh, uh, yeah. how good they were at that. Yeah, that QB sneak is unbeatable uh, the way they're doing that. So uh, I I thought that was an entertaining thing to see too because um, big difference between a guy like, say, Chris Jones and – Cam Hayward because Cam doesn't get blown off the ball in those situations. And every single one of them, Chris Jones was getting just annihilated because uh, he just can't handle that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's why I think that it's just a shame that Cam Hayward's not getting as much uh, credit as he should be for how talented he and skilled he really is on how all around his game is. You know, Chris Jones is a very good player, but clearly a pass rushing specialist. And And in this game, Pass rushers didn't really get home. Both quarterbacks really kind of had their way. They both had excellent performances. Uh, and one thing that I'm going to say here, uh, because I wanted to make sure I made this a, a topic when we were talking about this game. Mm-hmm. One thing both teams have in common outside of what we've talked about already, two of the best centers in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. Right. Jason Kelsey, a former sixth round pick who just happened to turn into one of the best uh, centers in the league through through work ethic, right? Let's call it what it is. Yep. When you're a six-round pick, you're not getting drafted because you're the best center out there. Uh, he worked really hard, uh, and he changed his body, and he turned into an excellent, one of the best centers in the NFL. And then Creed Humphrey, second-round pick for the Chiefs. Yep. Right out the gate, Pro Bowl his first year, widely regarded as one of the top centers in the NFL. Uh, that's why as we move forward into draft season here, um, you're going to see me talking about centers a lot for the Steelers. And it's not because I think Mason Cole's bad. I think Mason Cole's pretty decent, but these elite teams don't have just a decent center. The two best teams in the NFL this year had two of the best centers in the entire NFL. Yep. And one of my favorite sayings from uh, the draft network that I love the, these guys, they do the podcast, the draft dudes, right? Kyle and Joe Marino, uh, Joe Kyle Krabs, 
right? One of their their big sayings is don't let a good player keep you from drafting a great player. There. And I think that's that's something that Pittsburgh really needs to strongly consider. I think it's 17 uh, when you're going to be looking at the NFL draft this upcoming season. Uh, you're going to say just like normal when you're – Pittsburgh's drafting at 17 right around that area all the time because they're always at the back end of the playoffs or just barely making it into the playoffs in that range, right? Uh, by the time 17 comes around, usually a couple quarterbacks are gone, two or three offensive tackles, two or three corners – uh, multiple pass rushers, uh, usually a couple defensive line and interior guys. These are all gone already. You're not getting the best corner at 17, maybe the third or fourth best if you're lucky. But what you can get and what Pittsburgh has had extreme success with in the last 15 years is interior offensive line because usually the best ones are still there right then. Yeah, because you got DeCastro, you had Pouncey, you had... Mm-hmm. Those guys were both first-round picks. Where was Foster? How many Pro Bowls? Where Foster was... was actually undrafted. Okay, that's not what I was thinking of then. Oh shoot. Yeah. I don't remember. Mm, maybe Kendall Simmons. I want to say Kendall Simmons was like a second or third-round pick. Okay. No. Okay, Gilbert. Where was Gilbert? Gilbert was a second rounder. Okay, that's what I was yep. thinking of. So it was Mike Adams. That was supposed to be the the bookend tackles. Was Marcus Mike Adams? Uh, but Mike Adams couldn't stop hanging out with Wiz Khalifa's crew. That was a problem. Darn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of an issue when you're getting stabbed at three in the morning over yeah. a drug deal. But kind again, yeah, a little bit of an issue. Uh, and we'll address the the elephant in the room or whatever you want to call it. The, the big thing that people are talking about is that end of the game, uh, under two minutes left, the the holding call, the defensive holding call that changed the game because it went from a failed third down attempt uh, and having to settle for a field goal, giving the ball back to Philadelphia with, I think, like a minute and a half to go, to then them getting a new drive and then being able to run down the clock and kick a field goal with under 10 seconds left. Um, James, I know that we have similar opinions on this, but slightly different as well. I agree that it was a holding call. My frustration comes from the fact that they didn't call it all game, even on other plays where I thought it could have been called. And then, especially in a big game like this, towards the end of the game, when you kind of normally would let these players play it out, especially when it's not like he didn't drag him to the ground, he didn't do this and that. I understand it was still a hold. I'm not declining that or denying it. Um, but you just don't want to see uh, a call like that have the impact it did on the game. I would have loved to have seen if Philadelphia could have came out and got a drive, tied it up, put it in overtime, came out, won the game, whatever. Um, I think it's just unfortunate how it played out. And it's the second year in a row that it happened that way. Um, which is, you know, then people are going hashtag NFL rigged. It's, there's a script, all this yeah. stuff. The yeah. script stuff's been crazy uh, and oh, hilarious. It's hilarious how dumb people are with that stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, and to me, this is like, it's almost like the biggest non-story ever. Uh, because I look at it and I say, first off, um, we know Juju Smith-Schuster, the wide receiver, better than most fans do. And one of the things that we know about Juju, he's no track star, right? Mm -hmm. Not the fastest dude in the world. So what the hell do you got to hold him for? The one thing that's not deniable, at the snap, Bradbury grabs him and gets a hold of that jersey and doesn't let go for a couple of steps. Completely stopping any momentum that Juju could have got off the line of scrimmage. Then he let go. 
Juju got a few steps in. Then he grabs him again at the waist. This one was a little bit less obvious than the one initial one. The initial one was the worst grab of the two. Yeah. Uh, but again, halting his momentum and keeping him from being able to get that separation that we always talk about with wide receivers. So important to get separation. Got to be able to get separation. You can't get separation if somebody's holding you the whole play. And this isn't just a receiver. This is the guy that was leading the team in receptions, leading the team in receiving yards of all the wide receivers. They were going to him for a reason because he was the guy that took that entire second to last drive. They went to Juju like four or five times on that drive, went the whole way down the field with him, and then threw a touchdown pass to somebody else. But that's fine. They were about to do the same thing. And, they, and the, the Eagles knew it, and Bradbury knew he couldn't stop them. And then admitted after the game that he did it. Yeah. That, he said, I shouldn't have done it. That inside outside move that they ran, they ran it three times Ooh. total. And two of the times <laughs> were touchdowns, cool. two of the times were yeah. touchdowns. And so what they would do, and again, we'll get into this. I'll, I'll, I'll get into this very, very briefly. And then we can, we'll end the show and get ready for official off season, off season. Um, yeah. Combine's coming up, buddy. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, but Two times in this game, in the red zone on second down, they ran a motion across, you know, across Patrick Mahomes or behind him, whatever it was, and they saw how the defense handled it. And then the very next play on third down, they threw touchdown passes because they did the same motion and caught them over. Um, oh, now I can't think of the dang word. Overcorrecting. Overcorrecting over or overpursuing yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they yeah, ran both. it right back. And they got a touchdown, mm -hmm. easy touchdown, open touchdown on both plays. It was just great play calling. Hands down, great, yeah. great play calling. And I saw a post on this. I, I saw somebody post this online on one of the Steeler pages, and I can't agree more. Um, Pittsburgh is decades behind these two teams when it comes to offensive play calling, in my opinion. We, do, we use motion. We do not use it to the ability and to the strate strategic layout that both Philadelphia and especially Kansas City use, which is just crazy to me. Um, and I hope that Pittsburgh learns from this and runs not, I'm not saying run the same plays, but I hope they get creative in how they use motion and how they do stuff. I think we saw it a little bit with some tight end screens and some fullback dives and stuff like that, but I'd like to see yeah, us and a little bit end around stuff. Yeah, too. yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see but, us get a little bit more creative on that, I guess. Yeah. Or at and least, get, or at least the result be better it. or at least the result be better. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a big part of Matt Canada's offense. And he was trying to get to that part of it. But in order to get to that part of it, you have to have some success with some of the end arounds and some of the motion and that stuff. And he really wasn't having a lot of success with it. So I don't think he really got to expand to that part of the book uh, that much as far as his playbook. Um, one thing I will also like to say is just like as we got to the end of the game and, and it being that close of a game, um, Kansas City just made all the adjustments at halftime that the Eagles didn't. Yeah. You know, the Eagles drive stalled time after time in the second half. Uh, the Chiefs just found ways to make it happen. I mean, they got a defensive touchdown. That didn't happen for the Eagles, right? Yeah. Uh, they got a punt return where they almost brought it all the way back to for a touchdown. Yep. That didn't happen from the Eagles. We got a more well-rounded game out of the Kansas City Chiefs uh, than we did out of the Eagles. And the Eagles dominated the first half of this game. Honestly, I, I thought the Eagles were going to walk away with it after 24 to 14 in the half. You know, and and then they came out in the second half, and that's where Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy really flexed, man. They, that's where they said, "Hey, oh, we see what you're doing, and we got some changes for you." 
Yeah. Uh, and it's so important to have smart coaches and that they just showed it how, how incredibly smart those guys are. Um, the last thing I'm going to say about this game before we end the show, the, la- the very last thing I want to mention is in the beginning, when I saw the Philadelphia Eagles coach crying, I was very, I was very like not moved or emotional, but I was like, this guy like is living his dream. This guy's like crying during the national anthem. Absolutely. He wants to be there. But then um, I literally couldn't, I, I, the, the one play happened where they, they challenged the catch on the sideline and uh, the AJ Brown catch and Kansas city challenged it. And it wound up not being a catch, but Kansas city moved back to where the original line of scrimmage was before the play they called completed on the sideline. And then you saw it on film. I don't know if you, James, you saw this, their coach did this to Kansas city, telling him to come on back. And you saw Jalen hurts, put his hand, like be like, nah, dude, like, what are you doing? That yeah. was bad. Uh, in my opinion, that was not understand. <laughs> that is one of those situations of not acting like you've been there before. Um, yeah, that's a young man mistake right there. And, well, and his quarterback's that's, younger than him. Yeah, oh, that's, that's rough. That's a maturity thing, though. That that just shows you how mature Jalen, right? Yeah. That I think that's more of a testament to the maturity of Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Than it is the immaturity. It's so tough to when you get caught up in those moments in the competitive situation where it seems like somebody's trying to rub something in your face. Uh, it's so easy to just like jump right back at them like that. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of maturity for somebody like Jalen hurts. So, so young in the league uh, to <laughs> go up to his coach and say, no, no, no coach. Now ain't the time. <laughs> yeah. Let's not piss him off before the game's over. Huh? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's going to end this show. Oh, you got one more thing to say. Yes, one more thing to say. I didn't really talk about this beforehand, but scouting combine is right around the corner. Yep. Uh, starts February 28th, goes through March 6th. So we're going to have a lot to talk about after that. Uh, as soon as uh, we use the mock draft machine from the uh, draft network, uh, right now they're in the final stages of their completely refurbished one. Uh, I think it's the most accurate as far as the draft order and where people should be uh, because that's all it is. These guys just scout players all year, every year. Uh, so they're extremely accurate as far as where people should fall in the draft. So I'm holding out for that before we get you that first uh, mock draft, but that will be coming as soon as they get that all finalized. Yeah. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, again, we can't thank you guys enough for listening and watching. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like and follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Subscribe and ring the bell. It's freaking free. And remember to put those five-star reviews in. And this is for your hosts, James and Cody, signing off. Peace.